Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Molly. I have recently gone down a deep dive for your podcast after finding you on Instagram. And I just want you to know how much you have helped me in my healing process of just coming to my senses. So much of what you say and express hits so close to home and it's so reassuring to actually hear it from someone else. I resonate with a lot of everything you say. I just recently listened to your episode on living in the shadow of your family tree, which is something I've literally had a deep conversation with with my mom because I felt throughout my entire life just so unseen and unheard. I've never gotten the apologies that I believe that I've deserved from the way that I was raised and it really helped me and helped me almost find that sense of general forgiveness and acceptance that I needed and I just want to thank you. Welcome to Back from the Borderline. I'm your host, Molly, and I don't want to talk to your personality, I want to talk to your soul. The idea of alchemy is to reduce something with fire, burning it down so that something new can rise from the ashes. You can do this with your personality too. You can perform emotional alchemy. You've always had the power, you just didn't know that, and now you do. On this podcast, you'll learn to view your symptoms as saviors, as alerts from your body, mind, and spirit that want to let you know when you're out of alignment with the deepest yearnings of your soul. From chaos comes clarity. Through working with and integrating the concepts we'll explore together, you'll emerge transformed, standing in the ashes of the person you used to be. 
All right, everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I just want to give a huge shout out to Kelsey and say thank you for that beautiful voicemail. If you'd like to share the impact that the podcast has made on your life, you can send me a voicemail by visiting backfromtheborderline.com. And Kelsey, I think it's absolutely incredible that you are having these conversations with yourself, also with your family, and coming to a place that feels like forgiveness for you. And forgiveness doesn't have to mean saying that what we went through is okay, but for me, forgiveness more looks like surrendering to what is, accepting where we are here and now, and figuring out a way to move forward rather than living in the past. And I'm really proud of you, and I hope that you are just as proud of yourself. And I'm really, really honored to have you tuning in and listening to the podcast. And it's cool that you found me on Instagram. For those of you who aren't following, I'm sharing memes on there every single day, and it's just where I get to manically curate mental health philosophy and spirituality memes. So if that's the kind of thing you like, you can follow me on Instagram at backfromtheborderline.com. But now I would love to tell you about my incredible guest and what we dive into in this episode. So today we are going to be tackling a topic that's becoming increasingly urgent in our digital age, the state of mental health in the context of big tech's growing influence. In a world where the internet is a ubiquitous part of our daily lives, the responsibility of safeguarding the mental well-being, particularly that of young people, has never been more critical. And yet, we find ourselves in an era where policy change lags behind technological development, leaving younger generations, particularly Gen Z and now Gen Alpha, vulnerable to the perils of an unsupervised digital landscape. And for those of us who are in the millennial generation, we grew up in what I call the Wild West of the internet. And I don't think I necessarily coined that phrase, but I think it fits it most accurately. Millennials are those of us who grew up completely unsupervised in a world where our parents didn't even really know what was going on on the internet. And I have spoken at length on my podcast about the damage that this had for me personally. And when I opened up about my experience of predatory behavior by older and actually attractive men when I was about between the ages of 14 and 17 online. And this is on places like AOL Instant Messenger and MySpace and Facebook. I'm definitely showing my age, but that's okay. I was born in 1989. So I was active on the internet probably from around, probably starting around 2012-ish, when I was 11 or 12, hopping in random AOL instant messenger chats with random people. And for sure, a bunch of my younger friends and I ended up chatting with old dudes in random unsupervised chat rooms. It makes me cringe. Access to crazy hardcore pornography with absolutely no firewall protection. We could access it even at our schools. 
And then entering into the MySpace era in around 2013, 2014, where I just had unrestricted access to being friends with people, sending pictures to people, and it just kind of escalated from there. And I felt very flattered by the attention that I was getting from older men online, but that led down a really dark path to predatory behavior and then eventual sexual assault. And I've talked about this a lot on my platform. I've written about it a lot on my Substack, which you can access from backfromtheborderline.com. But what struck me was when I shared about this on Instagram, I received more comments on that post. I received a flood of emails, voicemails of people saying, me too, this happened to me online too. And these were a bunch of millennials, primarily millennial women, and also some members of Gen Z saying that they had experienced horrific, horrific treatment online, predatory and grooming behavior. And this made me realize, number one, it, w- it wasn't just me. And I know that me sharing that alchemized a bunch of toxic shame for those who read my story. And they felt that really kind of like an exhale of saying, okay, I'm not just this dirty, bad person. It's not just me. So many other people went through this, but it also filled me just with this really deep rage saying, where were the adults in the room? And I don't blame our parents because our parents had no idea what was going on. They couldn't put restrictions on the internet. It was all moving so fast. It was the responsibility of the people building these platforms to protect young people. And it turns out that they're still not doing that. Even as more and more research pours in about the negative and debilitating effects that big tech and social media platforms are having on the mental health of young people. And I spoke about grooming and predatory behavior, but there are other debilitating aspects of unrestricted access to the internet and a lack of attention and care to what it's doing to the minds of young people. Just a few that are off the top of my head, like filters on social media and having celebrities filtering themselves to the max, making getting cosmetic surgery their entire job and making young people, primarily young girls, feel like they need to look like these cyborg, completely unattainable versions of themselves. We are talking about completely never-ending scrolling where you can just keep on, keep on scrolling addictive algorithms that prioritize really divisive, violent and all around emotionally dysregulating content because the incentives that these platforms have is to keep people scrolling and keep people angry and keep them feeling like shit. And this is a huge problem. But even though there are lots of problems, it's best if we look forward, just like I spoke about in my response to that beautiful voicemail that we opened up with today. Because amidst all of these challenges, there are beacons of hope and change. And one such beacon is my guest today, Thanasi Delos. Now, at just 21 years old, Thanasi is a remarkable figure who's already made significant strides in the realm of social impact and tech accountability. 
a co-founder of Civics Unplugged, a partner at Gotham Labs, and a National Geographic explorer, the Nasi embodies the spirit of a generation that chooses to tread uncharted paths. Opting out of the traditional college route, a decision increasingly considered by many of his peers, the Nasi has dedicated his energies to empowering young people and reshaping the digital world for the better. Our focus of our conversation today is the Nasi's participation in Design It For Us, an organization where he plays a pivotal role. This youth-led coalition has already achieved monumental success, including the unanimous passage of the groundbreaking California Age-Appropriate Design Code. Their mission? To create safer online spaces for kids, teens, and young adults, a mission that resonates deeply with the ethos of Back from the Borderline. And in our conversation, the Nasi and I explored the intricacies of online safety, the responsibility of big tech, and the profound effects of digital environments on young minds. We discuss how Design It For Us is paving the way for essential policy reforms and empowering young voices in a space where they're often overlooked. This conversation is so much more than just an exploration of policy and technology. It's about understanding the world our younger generations inhabit and how we can collectively strive for a healthier, safer online experience. I don't want the younger generations coming up behind me to endure what I did online. And I'm sure you feel exactly the same way. I can't wait for you to hear my conversation with the Nasi, truly a young visionary making waves in the fight for a more responsible digital future. Before we dive into the heart of our discussion, I want to take a moment to recognize my podcast sponsors. Their support plays a vital role in what I do here, and it's because of them that I can continue to create and share content freely, making it accessible for listeners like you. So as we step into this short ad break, remember that these moments are more than just ads. They're a bridge that connects to continued free content for all my listeners. So stay with me, and right after this brief pause, we'll be jumping straight into today's episode of Back from the Borderline. Thank you for your understanding and continued support. This episode is brought to you by Jung Platform, a unique online space dedicated to exploring the depths of your unconscious mind through the lens of Carl Jung's teachings. Jung Platform's on a mission to make the transformative wisdom of Carl Jung accessible to everyone. They believe, just like I do, in the power of this knowledge to change lives, offering a wide range of courses that dive deep into topics like dream work, mythology, and the psychology of relationships. Each course on Jung Platform is taught by a highly qualified instructors who are experts in their field, who bring not just knowledge, but a passion for Jungian psychology. By engaging with these courses, you can hope to gain profound insights into your own psyche, learn the art of understanding your dreams, and embark on a journey of self-discovery and transformation. When you visit backfromtheborderline.com and click on the link for Jung Platform, you can use the code MOLLY10 at checkout to receive 10% off your first course. This code is valid for all of their courses except for their official certification programs. So don't miss this chance to explore the rich world of Carl Jung's work and wisdom. Begin your journey into the depths of your unconscious mind today. 
This episode is also brought to you by Pure Spectrum CBD, a company that's redefining the standards of CBD products. At Pure Spectrum, purity isn't just part of the name, it's their promise. Their products are crafted with the highest quality organically grown hemp, ensuring that you get the purest form of CBD. CBD is increasingly acknowledged for its potential mental health benefits, which may include aiding in the regulation of emotional responses, supporting trauma recovery, and contributing to the overall balance and regulation of the nervous system. These aspects can be particularly beneficial for anyone navigating the complexities of emotion dysregulation, offering a complementary approach to fostering a more centered and resilient state of mind. Whether you're new to CBD or an experienced user, Pure Spectrum has a range of products to fit your needs. If you follow the Pure Spectrum link at backfromtheborderline.com, you'll be able to lock in 15% off your first purchase on top quality CBD products. My favorite product of theirs is their Tranquil CBD CBN Tincture. I really like this because it helps me fall asleep and stay asleep when I really struggle with insomnia around the luteal phase of my menstrual cycle. But remember, just because something works for me doesn't necessarily mean it will work for you. And CBD can interact with some medications, so it's always a good idea to check with your healthcare provider before adding anything new into your routine. Don't miss this opportunity to experience the benefits of pure, high-quality CBD with Pure Spectrum. Just follow that link at backfromtheborderline.com and your discount will be waiting for you. And now that you've heard from my sponsors, you're going to hear a short ad break. These aren't your usual ads, they're dynamically inserted, much like those you might encounter in a YouTube video. Now I wanna be upfront with you, I do not personally select these ads. They are automatically chosen by my podcast hosting platform. And this setup is essential because it helps me keep my content free and accessible for everyone, especially those who might not have the means for a paid subscription or to be able to purchase products or services from my sponsors. To ensure a smooth and enjoyable listening experience, I've placed these ads at the beginning. This way we avoid interrupting during the episode and you can immerse yourself in the content without any breaks. Remember, you have the freedom to listen to or skip these ads as you see fit, but just by tuning in, you're supporting the show in a big way, and for that, I'm incredibly grateful. I really appreciate your patience and your understanding. Nobody loves listening to ads, but they help me keep this show running. So now you'll hear that quick ad break and we'll be right back to dive straight into the rest of today's episode of Back From The Borderline. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. All right, everyone. Thank you for your patience with my ad break and with a little bit of a message from my sponsors. And now, without further ado, it is my pleasure to bring you my conversation with Thanasi Delos. To kick things off, maybe you could share a little bit about your personal journey and how you've seen the effects of big tech on the mental health of young people in today's world. And you could maybe just tell us how old you are too, you know what I mean? So people can get a picture of your age and the generation that you're growing up in. Sure. Um, I'm 21. I just turned 21. So I had my first ever sip of alcohol a couple of weeks ago. I'm sure you did. Um, yeah. Baby's first beer. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> the, it's, it's a really interesting question because I think um, big tech and social media in general, but the internet both, I think, allowed for me to completely change my life and like follow a, a unique path that was really resonant with my purpose and who I am. But also, you know, before that was the reason I hated my life and almost took it. Um, I was super bullied most of my life um, in middle school, in elementary school and high school, um, online and in person. I never felt like I fit in places. And so I found solace in the internet. But unfortunately, that part of the internet that was a community was also full of rabbit holes and uh, depressive cycles and things that made you really sad and, and made you hate yourself. And, and so, um, you know, this all kind of came to a culmination. My sophomore year of high school had a lot of mental health episodes and needed to take some, some time off of school. Uh, my grades were horrible. Everything was bad. Um, and you know, all I did was sit in my room in the dark and scroll through social media and my parents didn't know what to do. No one around me knew what to do. It was, it was literally like I was, descending into a dark pit and never going to come out again. Somehow I ended up like falling into a political rabbit hole and getting really frustrated that there was no interesting content around like what was actually going on. It seemed also hyper-partisan. This was 2016, 2017. So right in the rise of like super partisan politics and, you know, all of the, the social media companies pushing a lot of the radical content towards young people. And so I ended up starting this Instagram account called Politicized News, um, that I was writing under a pseudonym, like nonpartisan news for kids. And that was like the thing on the internet that allowed me to be like, holy shit, I have a purpose. I wake up every day, I do this. This is great. It's going well. I'm finding community people are liking what I'm doing. And it kind of turned my life around. Um, it introduced me to a ton of people that um, I work with now. It, it allowed me to like get back to high school and, and graduate and not hate my life. Um, it connected with the community of other people. And it also made me feel like, you know, when you're doing work on social media and you probably know this, um, if you're doing, if you're publishing good content and feel good content, you know how much better feel bad content performs. And so I saw and met the people publishing like the super left and super right meme pages. Everybody was working with us cause we were nonpartisan. Um, and it was sad and horrible and, and those people suck. Um, and they like fed off fear and, and bad energy of people. So it was a, it was a shocking experience. You know, it's really interesting. I have a lot of um, 
compassion for that because I feel the same way. I started my podcast and like the first words I ever uttered on my first episode was like, I don't know if anyone's going to be listening to this. And then obviously, you know, two, two and a half years feels like a lot, but in terms of building this much of an audience, it's really not that long of a time. And I, when I recorded that first episode, I was in the pits and like what, most people don't know and people that have never been through that deep of depression like you said sitting in the dark not leaving your bed literally i was surviving off of protein shakes basically because like i couldn't even like feed myself i just i hated life and i was consuming a bunch of crap content and it really does shape how you view the world i just did a three-part series on trauma worlds and basically it's this idea that if you are constantly consuming things that convince you that the world is a bad place full of bad people. And if we add in the social media aspect of perfect shitty people that like look amazing and we don't even know what real looks like anymore, right? I was telling my husband the other day, I'm like, thank God I got out of the dating world when I did because I feel so bad for people now because my husband was like, when I would go on dates, I would like meet the person I was sitting on a date with and be like, you look nothing like your pictures. So it's like, we're creating these like veiled versions of ourselves. All of us are walking around the world thinking that there's danger and shitty people around every corner. When in reality, it's just being fueled by this technological monster in the background. Yeah, let's break this down for a second. So the first piece is like stories shape our realities. They always have. You know, like I, I always draw it back even like Star Trek and like going to the moon and the vision of like space travel, right? But but now you have stories that are pervasive every second of your life that are not real. Then you have a bunch of different factual universes or life universes that people live in. And there's no way to tell unless you deeply, truly know a person what universe they're living in. I don't know what fact universe you're living in. You don't know what fact universe I'm living in. And it makes it really hard for us to connect especially around really important things. If we don't agree on, like, if you're looking at the sun and I'm looking at the moon, it, we're not going to say the same thing. And the third is that we're letting these universes into people's lives 30, 40, 50 years before they would have been exposed to it any time before right now, this moment in history in the universe right now. And it's really, really scary. Like, I don't know if you're a big TikToker, but there's this trend on TikTok right now that's going about, that's talking about how 10 year olds are running through Sephora looking for these two, like whatever, black elephant and this other like lip balm. And they're being extremely rude to all the Sephora employees. And, and it's like a common thing that's happening. And you're like, why are all these 10 year olds suddenly obsessed with makeup and being rude to Sephora employees? And, you know, then there's the trends of like, I don't know if you saw a couple of months ago, there was this streamer and two of his fans came up to him in Dodger Stadium. and you know, he like went to take a selfie and one of the 10 year old kids or 11 year old kids was like, women suck. I hate women. Like all women are, are, are B words. And so, you know, you have this, this thing where young people are being exposed to this trauma factory. They're being exposed to all this content. And because their, their brains are so malleable because they literally are like, we are so much products of our environment. Their environment is like literally the most viral content and the most viral content is the most aggressive, the most saddening, the most shocking. And so when you think about it, we're not teaching our kids anything but the worst parts of the world. And then they're going out and they're, and they're, they're projecting that from the inside because that's what shaped their like souls 
And it's, it's really scary. The last thing too on that is, is like, we always talk about this tech monster, but I think what makes it even worse is that there is no tech monster. There is no devil behind the screen saying, I'm going to fuck up these kids. Can I curse right. on here? I don't know. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Please, there, there's no, yeah, there's no, like, there's no conspiracy. There's no deep state cabal thing. No. Like we're going to destroy all the young people. Maybe there are people that are like, I know this gets me clicks, but and the reality is we have created incentive structures. That's what I was just We've about to say. I was numbers. like, it's all about eyeballs, clicks, and mm-hmm. it's all around the incentives. It's like, if all we care about are the little graphs going up, that's the the devil right there, right? Like yeah. it's not, it's not that, it's not hidden in the smoky rooms. Mm-hmm. There, there is no cigar, there is no cigar filled back room where people are doing this. Um, but, but never, nevertheless, it is, I think, one of the biggest threats to not just Generation Z or people that are my age, but mm-hmm. like people that are 10 or five or two. I, like, I saw a kid who knew how to scroll and like skip the ads on the Cocoa Melon and she was two years old. What the fuck? Yeah. Wow. You know, it's funny that you talk about something that you said. It reminded me of a phrase that I say on the podcast all the time. I say, I talk about the circle jerk of sadness because basically it's just, that's what, when I first started creating content, um, I started creating it around BPD. And then I realized I got a critical psychology pilled, I call it, because basically all of these uh, diagnoses are just man-made labels. Like there is actually literally no scientific proof that any of it exists, none. There's not, not a single bit of scientific proof for any diagnosis, but we've become so obsessed with these labels and you will often find yourself down these rabbit holes of narcissistic abuse recovery or, you know, BPD recovery. And what it is, it's just like you found with politics. It's the most upsetting, sad, depressing stuff is what gets people going, right? But God forbid you you post about hopeful things or like that there is is recovery. People actually don't want to see that, it seems. But also, I used to think people don't want to see that, but then I started realizing it's just not what's getting pushed. You know what I mean? Like it's not being shown to people. And I also read a lot by this incredible author named uh, author named James Davies, and he says just this, where he goes, "Look, it's not this big conspiracy, and it's the same thing with with politics. There's not this cabal of people who are going, ha ha, let's see how we can fuck people up. It's like you and I both have worked in tech. We know that the incentives is as much work as you can do. And if you've ever like, if you for me, I was an overworker." like a super perfectionist and you don't get promoted for that. You don't get more money. You just get more work thrown on you. So it's actually incentive to just kind of like do the bare min because if you do more, it's just pile more and more and more on, do more, do more. I watched people lie about numbers, you know, marketing saying, oh yeah, let's just use the higher number. Like half of the shit is fake. And I think our generation knows this now. We're all so fucking jaded where we're just going like, nobody cares about us. And at least I'm a millennial. Like I graduated in 2008. And so I'm 34 now. I just turned 34 in November. And I grew up with such the thing of just go to college, get a degree. It will all be great. You'll get a job. And then I've watched so many people that I know just watch that dream just collapse around us. And I feel like millennials are split now where there's like half of us are like live, laugh, love, like on their fifth kid and like pretending like everything's okay and being very cringe. And then the rest of us are like super existential, like going, what the fuck? 
I relate a lot more to the Gen Z generation because I'm recognizing that now I want to hear your perspective because how I view Gen Z is very jaded and very much like you all see the bullshit. You didn't get to live in the law law land that the millennials did where everything is still good. We're pretending like it's all good. How do you view the Gen Z and even if you have any information on that, like the Gen Alpha mindset, you kind of spoke about Gen Alpha already, but what's what's the vibe with Gen Z? And just to let you know, I'm not on TikTok. I actually tried last year and I was on it for like 15 minutes and I just said, you know what? I think I'm going to be a teetotaler for TikTok. So I just haven't <laughs> done it. I have friends that send me good ones and so I'll watch yeah. them, but I'm not on it at all. Community curation is the way to go. I, yeah. I'm, I'm on it because I think it, it gives me like a little bit of an insight. I'm, I'm not a messenger for Gen Z, but I hear like, that. I'll, I'll but, answer. But I'll you answer. are particularly, you're doing this work. And so I feel like you are a pretty good like temperature taker potentially. Yeah, I'll try. I just want to make sure I don't get attacked, you know? I get hear the you. tomatoes thrown <laughs> at me. I hear um, you. I am a radically hopeful person. I think that be, like, and I think that comes from a lot of things. Like I've been to the, the deepest, worst parts of my life. I never want to go back there. And so like, no matter what, I'm going to be radically hopeful. But I think- Me too. I hear you. If, if, the same. If, if we're looking at it like realistically, I think that, you know, there is a, it's a, it's a how long will it take to save everyone? Not an if we will save everyone. Because I, I, I fundamentally believe we will save everybody. But it's how many people are going to be lost to that like um, jaded, depressed, purposeless existence before we say, holy shit, this isn't working, let's do it again. And I think you're spot on. Young people have realized that the pathway that millennials have taken leads to really not that many cases of like pure purpose and pure happiness. And I think this word purpose gets thrown around a lot, but it's truly like the one meaningful thing that a human can have that leads into, at least I believe, into your happiness, into joy, into what you project to others, into your love life, into your success, into your financial success, if you're just doing something that aligns with your purpose. However, we have not built a society, especially not for young people, that encourages them to chase their purpose, to achieve their purpose, to even know what their purpose is. What we've built a society is, like what you said, go to high school, get a great SAT, ACT score, get into a good college, then do an internship or go to do your master's or do like whatever, and then make a bunch of money, have some kids, and then you're done. And it's like, no one wants to do that. So I think my generation and their statistics, I never went to college. Um, much to my parents' sugar, and I, I never went to college. But um, a lot more young people, my generation, are not going to college or choosing to not go to college. The problem is that we haven't created opportunities outside of this one track for people to be very successful if they don't go to college. So we're kind of forcing people into this pathway that locks them a lot away from their purpose. And we're saying, okay, if you choose to go out on your own, you know, good luck. Maybe you'll be successful. But the reality is like, I got lucky. College degrees are very necessary for financial and class mobility in the United States. They're one of the only avenues that especially lower socioeconomically privileged people have to class mobility and financial security. And so, you know, we're forcing people into this position. So I think young people have recognized that the pathway doesn't work. I think what the problem is, is that no one is looking at the solution. Right now, people are saying young people won't turn out in the 2024 elections. And people are saying that young people, especially urban young people in swing states, are going to be the ones who decide whether or not 
the Republican or the Democrat gets into office. Young people show up, Democrats will win. If young people stay home, the Democrats will not win. And the, I, a lot of people are saying it's because of one specific geopolitical conflict that's happening right now. I believe that young people aren't really interested in voting because they don't see anyone that's in power creating a world that is built for them, that is built for purpose, that is built for a new pathway to financial security, a new pathway to life. That's what they want. Um, they also see, especially in the tech world, they see politicians saying, we're not going to solve big tech uh, regulation this year. We're not going to solve social media regulation this year. Every year they take it down the road. We haven't had any comprehensive internet legislation, youth safety legislation in more than 20 years in this country. So, so like, just think about that. The internet is just a little bit older than the last time that we had internet legislation in this country. I actually can't believe that. I didn't know that. And I cannot believe that. Yep. I, I think, um, wow. That's yeah. shocking. So basically, and that's the same reason why, and we'll be talking about him because I have a question about him, but when you see some of these social media executives testifying before our, our government, you see their faces of just like, and then you see these senators and Congress people who are literally like, don't even, they're the ones that are like, how do I log into my Facebook? Mm -hmm. Like they don't know shit. So they, these tech people know that, and I know, cause I worked in tech myself and I had to work with clients who had no idea how to use technology. And I was like, oh my God. And so it's like, it, that was the vibe of these, these things. And I'm going, we need people in here that are actually going to take these tech guys to task first and foremost. And secondly, you can see specifically with Mark Zuckerberg, when he was being questioned, you could see the arrogance. You could see him just yeah. being like, just being like, nothing's going to happen to me. And that made me so fucking angry to watch. I was just like, they know that, that they can do whatever the hell they want. And dude, it, it seems like a reality TV show to the young people that are watching because you have Mark Zuckerberg answering Senator. That's not how Facebook works. And you have Senator asking, you know, how do I log into my Finsta? Or you have, let's go to like the TikTok CEOs, the, the TikTok CEOs there, and they're asking, can TikTok steal my data through connecting to Wi-Fi? It's just evident that we're like at this, we're at this huge inflection point. Technology yeah. has accelerated, culture has accelerated, spirituality, purpose, human thought has accelerated at an unprecedented um, pace. Faster than our old ass legislators can possibly Correct. keep up with. And also they are so fucking old. That's the, that's my biggest problem is I look and look, I believe in the wisdom of elders, right? Like, because that's another thing I think we've lost. But, but the problem is, is that we've got some people in our government right now, I'd say the majority who are literally just suckling off of the donations that they get from all these big companies. They're so old that they know they're going to die before any of this is going to really impact them. And all of their kids are going to be taken care of for generations to come from all of their corruption. And the rest of us are down here going, what's the fucking point? Like I legitimately consider myself politically homeless because I see such deep corruption and it fills me with such malaise. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and so regardless, it feels like right now, and I still believe, you know, we must cast our vote. Our vote is a way to, to share our voice. I would never ever encourage people not to make our voices known, but I have to admit the last couple of times I've gone to the polls, I've been just like going, does this matter? You know what I mean? I have to, I have to admit it. And it sucks that I feel that way. Do I still do it? Yes. 
do I hope for for change? Yes. And I think the average person, and you know how it feels when you're at the pit of despair, <laughs> like you're thinking, what can I do to fix this? And I know that's probably the majority of my listeners because yeah. half of them are tuning in from their depression beds going like, what can I do? To, to save, to truly save our democracy, we need to solve the mental health crisis in America. You, like period. The real reason that people do not feel that they have a say, they have agency is because they have been beaten down away from their purpose by all of these institutions that at one point in time, again, they're not malicious. At one point in time, they did serve to, to inspire and, and secure dreams, Absolutely. maybe for a certain type of person, right? But, but they did it and, and they have not evolved as quick as we need them to because mm-hmm. of just, like you said, the incentives within them. And so like, I think that one of the things we talk about a lot at Civics Unplugged, one of the, the organizations that I, I run, um, is intergenerational leadership. It's like, how do you get, how do you balance the wisdom of the elders with the energy and creativity and new knowledge and new skills that young people bring to the table? How do you get both people? Because I think a lot of like a lot of older folks, especially in the political uh, sphere, the young people as arrogant, as um, dumb, as loud and annoying. They see them gluing themselves to streets to like stop traffic. And when you're in the political realm, you're like, well, that's not actually going to solve climate change yeah. or solve whatever. And so there's this disconnect. And it's not just the old people to blame. I actually think that there's a lot of younger folks that refuse to engage um, with politicians, with older folks, refuse to find a middle ground. And it's all about compromise. We're not going to fix it all at once, but like, we can't just have this whole like us versus them mentality because it's a cop out. It's, it's a black and white thinking. Cop-out. It's splitting. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, and that's, it's interestingly enough, that's a symptom of borderline personality disorder. And that's where I just started laughing at all this stuff because I'm going, we're all splitting. It's so funny to label a certain group of people as quote unquote BPD when all of us are so hyperbolic, like as a society, you know, right? And it's it's like you said, we need the wisdom of the elders. And the one thing that you start to recognize, like for the first time in my life, I'm 34. And I will say that like, I just talked about this with Lawrence Hillman on my podcast the other day. He's in his sixties, but I went for the first time. I'm like, hearing new songs and I'm going, oh fuck, I actually don't know who that is. And I'm going, what's going on? Like, because you eventually do stop giving a fuck about like, you see the cyclical nature of things. I'm now for the first time when I was in high school, I remember my mom, I, there, I was like buying new clothes and she goes, oh my God, some of the stuff you're wearing now, that was actually popular when I was in high school. And I was like, oh, whatever mom, you know? But now Mm -hmm. I'm seeing it where it's like, literally girls are wearing juicy couture sweatsuits again. And I'm like, holy fuck is this, oh my God, it's happening. Like I'm seeing it come back full circle. I never thought I would see these hot mess fashions arise to the surface again, but here we are. And so one thing that comes with age is these witnessing of the cyclical nature of things, you know, witnessing things coming back around. And I do think that we need the wisdom. I just interviewed Bruce Levine is this amazing activist. He's been fighting since like the seventies, sixties and seventies, since he was like protesting against the Vietnam War. He was um, big in the hippie movement, protesting against psychiatry, but nobody's listening to these elders. There's a lot of badass activists. We talk a lot of shit on boomers, but we forget that the boomer generation made up like a lot of these amazing activists from the 60s. And I see them looking at quote unquote activists today. Young activists kind of are just too busy policing and attacking each other to make any real change. At least that's my my perspective. 
I, I think a lot of people share your perspective. I completely agree that the boomers... To an extent. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think, listen, I think most people see both sides. And I think there's a loud minority of people on the right, on the left, on the forward, on the back, whatever the fuck you want to call it, that are just trying to incite violence because they themselves are the most hurt. And, and they want everybody else to be as hurt as they are, and they yeah. really don't present solutions. And, you know, one of the people I respect the most says, like, you know, I just want to be thinking about forward, like That's forward right. with everybody. You know, not That's Andrew right. Yang forward where it's like tech and UBI, but like truly like what's the better way to do everything that we're doing right now? What's the better yeah. way to do college? What's the better way to do immigration? What's the better way to do mental health? And yeah, I mean, like, dude, kids nowadays, their first impression with democracy is in schools. Their first impression with democracy is teachers that are underpaid and under overwhelmed and overwhelmed. So, so not really great, strong adult figures, no student voice, no ability to have any sort of agency in what's going on, what's happening to them for 10 hours a day, sometimes more Mm -hmm. really bad infrastructure and facilities, book bans everywhere. Like that's your first impression with, with democracy. Then you go home, you don't talk to your parents. You don't play outside. Your parents have no clue what it's like to be a kid right now. Yeah. They, they really don't, like more so than, than ever. And then you go into your room and you listen to people who are entertaining, but also who are like rotting your brain. <laughs> and then you, you close your eyes and six years later you wake up and you have become a complete impression of the content that you've consumed. Uh. And listen, I'm not an internet hater. I think the internet is one of the coolest things that we've ever invented. Obviously it, it's helped people find community. It's helped people yes. express themselves. Look at you and I, like yeah. I would have been a depressed, rotting, non like high school dropout had it not been for the internet. But I think that we have not done a good enough job as a society to recognize how valuable our kids are, our youth That's are, right. and how, how much we need to literally lay down in front of the train tracks to protect them. Yeah. And the fact that we haven't, um, Really makes me really makes me concerned about where our priorities are as a mm. as a country and as a world. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. This is actually a perfect segue into my question because I want to talk about design it for us because you are in, actively involved in this organization. So I'd love for you to tell the listeners a little bit about what inspired you to join that team and become an advocate for online safety. Obviously, you've told what inspired yeah. you, but Maybe just speak a little bit about this organization and what, um, how did it become what it is today and what are you all fighting for? How are you utilizing this? Because I'm right there with you where I really don't think that you can just talk shit on something without coming with actionable things to say, here's how we can make it better. Because it's really easy to say, this doesn't work and I hate it. What's harder is to say, okay, here's what's not working, but here are some proposed solutions. And that's what inspired me to reach out to you for this interview because I saw that and I went, I actually felt hope because I went, oh my God, this is amazing. This is a group of young people who are drawing from the wisdom of elders, taking their own experience and actually like you guys have been able to accomplish some pretty amazing things. So let's let's hear a little bit about that. So Designer for Us is a coalition of young people, both young activists and just young people who care about big tech reform and youth online safety and making sure that the government at a state and federal level is passing laws that protect young people and mental health online. Um, it was started to pass something called the Age Appropriate Design Code in California, which would have mandated which was passed in California, that 
big tech companies take steps in the design of these platforms to ensure that young people's mental health is protected. Things like infinite scroll, things like being able to block strangers, things like being able to protect your data. Basic things that should have been there from the beginning, but that weren't because big tech doesn't care about kids. It then evolved um, from just a statewide lobbying coalition of young people to this group of young people, over a thousand, who are not just bringing their stories to the table. These aren't just young kids that have been affected by social media and are just there to tell their stories to showcase the problem. It's young people who have unique ideas about ways that big tech and the government can solve these issues, just like what you talked about. And so, you know, in the U.S. Senate uh, last term, we helped two bills get to the floor, one of them with 50 plus co-sponsors in the U.S. Senate, which is one of the most co-sponsored bipartisan bills in history. Um, wow. And, and, you know, I think it was a testament to what I was saying before, intergenerational work. We brought these ideas, we brought these stories. When you sit as a senator in front of three young people who both tell you that their lives were almost lost to this social media platform and you follow it up with, and here's what I'm gonna do to solve it. And here's what I need you to do to solve it. And it makes sense. It's almost impossible for that representative to say no. And when you combine that with lobbying efforts, with fundraising efforts, with networks that activists have been building for decades, folks that like at Accountable Tech or other organizations that have been holding Big Tech Accountable for much longer than Design It For Us has been around. It's a superpower. Um, and it really, it, it, it gives me hope too, but the, the one thing that is so exciting about Design It For Us is that we've only been around for nine months. Wow. Um, and we've already done all of this. And so the momentum that we're feeling, especially going into this election year is, is really, really exciting. And it's important, you know, like there are some really important things that need to be spoken about, but I think you said that just a few minutes ago. And if I'm not mis butchering, misquoting you, you can clarify, but I do agree with you in the fact that I don't see many other big, huge, important things that we need to address in this country as mental health and online safety, because we've seen that even just the online atmosphere can impact democracy. It can impact the way that we think and view. Like we are constantly, uh, we are living in a trauma world, you know? Like the veil through which the average young person sees the world is not a realistic one. It's, it's not one that reflects the average reality when you walk out your house and just say hi to the per people that are walking around, you know? Um, and my generation is one of the last generations, I mean, who got to experience, who had the luxury of experiencing the world before the internet. Because like you said, I so many amazing things have happened, but I grew up where it was just like Super Mario, Nintendo 64, going out and playing outside until we were tired and coming in. And the internet didn't really emerge until, for me, like probably... I wasn't online online until I was about 15. And that's when AOL Instant Messenger popped up and then shit hit the fucking fan. And I can distinctly like pinpoint when MySpace and AOL Instant Messenger popped up, it turned kids so much meaner. And because the, the kids are already mean, you know, because they're, 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 some of them are suffering at home, but you don't have the context to know that. And so they're taking, they're projecting all over each other and there's, 
girls are so mean. Uh, teenage girls are just awful. I was like you where I got bullied. My mom taught at my school and I used to literally go into my mom's room. I didn't even, lunch was my oh, least wow. favorite. Yeah. Lunch was my least favorite time of the yep. day. Like whenever I watched Mean Girls and I saw Katie Heron, like Lindsay Lohan's character, like go in the toilet and cry and like take her lunch into the toilet. Like hard relate because like I didn't even want to be in the lunchroom. I just wanted to read a book and I wanted to get the fuck away. I hated school with a passion. And as soon as AOL Instant Messenger came on the scene and people got cell phones, it's just like the viciousness of teenagers just turned up to like 25 because giving people the ability to be anonymous, in my opinion, was the worst thing uh, because people can be so much meaner uh, with the guys of anonymity yeah that that like we didn't change anything we turned up the volume yeah that's that, right that's what happened like we turned up the volume both on the aggression but also on the trauma um and the pace of that these new platforms is only accelerating and they're just getting deeper and deeper into our culture like God. there's 25 percent of 13 to 15 year olds on instagram receive unwanted sexual advances from random people that's my 13 to 15 point yeah. So we are we are literally compounding the trauma that these young girls are having on the internet and exposing them to things that God forbid they would have been exposed to if they didn't have the internet. And then we're allowing them to take out that frustration. We're not we're not helping them. We're not giving them therapy. We're not providing them any way to understand it. So we're just giving them this trauma. And then we're expecting them to go through life and not project it onto others, which is completely idiotic, stupid. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, like, it, it seems like very logical. It's like, yes, if we, you know, helped young people feel less trauma and see less things online, if we helped young people see less death, destruction, sadness, nice. poverty, hate online to this, this extreme level, and then we gave them the ability to cope and understand the things that they do see through yeah. in-person adult mentors and real social interaction, we have a much more mentally healthy citizens, citizens call it balanced, but yeah. And then we can better understand how to solve climate change, better understand how to solve yes. criminal justice, better understand. But if all these people are being attacked fundamentally in their bedrooms, they are, they are being attacked every night. Like what, what are we doing? How are we going to solve everything else? It's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs goes completely out the door when everybody's being, you know, like mentally blitzkrieg every night. Yeah. Well, you have to experience safety in order to even find your purpose, right? It's Maslow's hierarchy of needs is the perfect example here because I've spoken about that too. When you're constantly just fighting to survive from a mental perspective, and that's a whole nother head fuck in itself is like, and that was something I had to grapple with. I'm like going, okay, I'm like financially, I'm okay, right? Like fi um, I have food to eat. I have clothes on my back. I have, a, I have a room. Like, was I dying living on credit cards and all that stuff? Yes. Like, you know, cause I did not come from a rich family, but objectively I was safer than the vast majority of people living on this planet earth. But really when you are psychologically unsafe, that is such a head fuck because you think I shouldn't be feeling this way. Everything's fine. So why am I feeling this way? So then there's something must be wrong with me. You find yourself in a psychiatrist's office, then you have this label, that label, and a 15 minute appointment half the time. Yes, correct. Pat you, pat you on the butt. See you later. That's what happened to me. It's what happened to thousands of my listeners. And then we end up over-medicating. That's right. We end up over-medicating a bunch of young kids yes. who, listen, I'm not a doctor. I, I do not right. know studies on any of that stuff. However, 
I do believe that young people should be bouncing off the walls. And the yes. fact that you hear stories of kids at three and five getting put on antidepressants and ADHD medication, sure, some of them definitely need it. I'm glad that we're talking about mental health. Do the for majority sure. of them need it? That's a question. I don't know. And maybe, you know, in 10 years, I'll get screwed for saying this. Maybe they did all need it. But like, I think we're, we're dooming kids to a life of relying on uh, SSRIs for yep. normal balance or what they think is balance, which I think is extremely fucked up, but that's a completely different episode. You literally have girls on TikTok. I've seen these. I'm not on TikTok, but it's the stuff that people have sent me. And it's like, you've got videos of girls that are like putting their, like, their mood stabilizers and their SSRIs and their five different psych meds and their like Hello Kitty pill. Oh yes. Pill, oh please. Pill God, containers please. and glorifying it. And again, not shading these girls, but I'm going like, look at what we have done, right? Like my belief, this is this is where I I'm not a doctor and I'm not a therapist, but all my podcast uh listeners know that I do I disclaim the shit out of everything. But what I do know is that these medications can be helpful and I think that they can be useful in getting someone to a baseline to where they can show up for therapy and can meaningfully, because there is a time where you are so mentally, I was having panic attacks 15 times a day. I was suicidal and I'm actually glad that I was able to numb and suppress because guess what? That's what these medications do. They numb you basically out, right? And they they create a chemical imbalance. There is no chemical imbalance. It's like they cause one and then but sometimes that can be beneficial. Benzos were helpful for me in the beginning because I was able to stop having panic attacks. I was able to kind of create a bit of a calmness to where then I could go to therapy, but they're not a long-term solution for this root cause. And you mentioned something that is, I've like hit this nerve where when I posted about my experience being groomed online, uh, when I was very young, I was a 14 year old girl and I was getting approached by very attractive older guys, not, not creepy man in the van, not 60 year old guy saying, come and pet my puppy. I, I was told by my parents, don't approach creepy old men. When you see pedophiles, you see the freaky old guy with the mustache and the bottle glasses. No, these were hot older guys that had money. And by that, I mean, they just had like a job, like boys my (laughs) age couldn't even like take me to the movies, you know? And so it's like, which is normal. Um, But like these guys could take me out to dinner. They had an apartment and they were messaging me. And I was so seeking validation outside myself. Again, had no sense of purpose, had no one to guide me. And my parents, to their credit, had no fucking clue what was going on online. That was the true wild west of social media. Parents had no idea what was happening. And I was being groomed. The moment that I started posting about that on Instagram, I did. I wasn't prepared for the, the response I received. When I say like 600, 700 comments back saying, me too, me too, me too. Floods of emails, floods of voicemails and saying, this fucked me up because I didn't even realize it until I was 29, 28. And I was sitting there with a 14 year old boy and going, how could I ever be sexually attracted to this? He's a child, right? Like this is a child. And it just like, it makes you realize how so many people victim blame and go, how do you realize you only got abused when you're like, and it's been 20, 10, 10, 20 years. And it's like, because of that, you think you're mature. You think, oh, I'm so lucky. All these guys want to have attention, like give me attention. No, you're a victim. And social media companies make this so easy and it's an actual epidemic. And then you wonder why we have a epidemic of young girls who 
are terrified of being feminine or don't want to. And I'm not saying that that's not a genuine thing that you can experience dysphoric feelings because that's a whole nother box of wax. But I actually hated being a woman for a while because I thought I'm literally just being exposed to this hypersexualized, awful environment. And I'll just stop ranting now. I'd love to hear your reaction. Also to hear if if that's been something that you guys have stories that are submitted on Design It For Us, has that been something that you guys have also tapped into? First of all, I'm, I'm sorry that that happened to you. And Thank you for that. although it has shaped your experience, I think that no one should go through that. Um, I think that, yes, it's, it's a common thing. It's probably the most common thing, um, which is, you know, and, and these big companies, now here's where the, the, the boogeyman in the room actually becomes real. These big companies know that these things are happening. Disgusting. As these reports in, in, in Meta, as Meta was receiving more of these reports, they were actually downsizing their safety team as these results, as these reports were coming in and, and, and increasing in volume. Oh my and what God. they did instead was they put an AI and a, an automated moderation feature onto you know, Instagram. And so then they started reporting, and here's how they fuck with the numbers. Then they started saying, well, our AI is catching 99% of everything. And what they meant was that their AI, once it identified something, 99% of the time it identified something, it was child sexual abuse material or something, something to do in, in that realm. So that means that you're saying if you hid 10 fruits around the room, and I found, and, and you were saying find the bananas, and I found four bananas in one apple, you're saying he found you know, 90% of, of the bananas. I didn't even look at the other fucking five fruits. I didn't find them. Didn't, didn't even know they existed. And you're saying I'm, I'm, I'm like the most successful person in the fruit finding game. I don't know if that's a good <laughs> analogy, but you, you get my point, I get, right? It's I get completely it, yeah. fuck numbers. And so what's actually happening is that the, the, the adult humans that are supposed to be there to review, because a lot of these cases of grooming and, 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 and unwanted sexual advancements are not people sending dick pics in the DMs. No. It's people commenting, wow, you're so fucking hot on a 13-year-old's fucking Hello Kitty picture, and it's disgusting. And there's nothing wrong the in the AI's eyes with someone saying, wow, like cute Hello Kitty picture with like 80-year-old Jeff saying that on a fucking Ugh. Instagram comment. It's disgusting. And so, and so, you know, because we don't hold these tech companies to a higher standard and because we don't force them to do independent audits and release the real numbers that we set as, as a society, as a, a group of voters, we are the ones that need to hold them accountable. Because we don't, they don't need to. The only thing they need to report to shareholders is MAU, monthly active users, BAU, daily active users, retention, churn, revenue, and how good their ads are performing. And none of that shit has anything to do with how many girls get unwanted sexual advances. I'll tell you one more thing. There's, there's, you know, this is very much like an addition to a room of one's own, like the Virginia Woolf theory of, of, you know, a, a true, strong, like independent woman in society. We have just added another fucking thing to weigh people down. Even if you have a fucking independent, physically safe space and you're financially independent, you now have to deal with this psychological fear as a young woman that is, is pulling you down in society. On top of that, if you look at the, the other, if you look at the, the gender binary and like male identifying folks, a lot of young men are being assaulted with a completely different set of problems. 
You look at Andrew Tate, you look at radical masculinity, you look at like the workout culture and steroids, you look at feeling like you are a um, a failure if you don't have $200,000, $300,000, if you don't have a startup, if you're not an entrepreneur, if you're not red-pilled or whatever. And if you're seeing that at goddamn 14 or 15, imagine how much of a misogynist, fucked up guy you're going to be at 17 yes. or 18. Or imagine how hurt you're going to be by not being the most built or not being the most successful or rich. Like, it, it's really sad and it sets these standards for men. No wonder men are killing themselves. Yeah. No wonder like, men. Why would I try? Right? Like, why? Exactly. What's the point? Exactly. Why would I try? I'm never going to be able to get to that. Right? Or it's like a petri dish. It's it's the perfect environment for like cult like figures to prey upon people to thrive. It is it is completely a overrepresentation of the edges of society. Yeah, that's right. And it pushes everybody from the middle to the edges. Yeah. You cannot be in community or survive on social media for a long time without being pushed to the radical end of a type of thought, whether it's workout videos or political thought or eating or whatever it is, you get pushed as <laughs> radical as you can be. And if that's the only content you're consuming, once you come off of that, that platform, that's the way you're going to think in real life too. There's nothing going to be there to, to pull you back. You know, what also made, what, what came up for me, well, two things, and this is pretty volatile, but I will just say it because I agree with it. I wish he would hear it, but I know he'll never hear my podcast, but I genuinely don't know how people like Mark Zuckerberg, for example, and there's tons of other tech CEOs that are culpable in this. He's mm -hmm. just kind of our punching back for now. Yeah, He's used to that, I'm sure. Um, but I don't know how he sleeps at night, quite frankly, because the thing is, is that the impact this has had such their decisions and their lack thereof, their actions that they've taken and the actions they have not taken have actually made such a negative impact and such negative ripple effects. Like for example, I'm sure you're the same way. Every time I post on my Instagram, every time I have a conversation with someone, I'm thinking about what are the ripple effects this is going to have? You know what I mean? Like even just my smallish platform, like, and it made me think of, you know, people like me and you, and I'm saying we're not perfect, but I know that we do have a conscience and we are thinking about the impact that our actions have. And I'm sure lots of my listeners feel the same way. When I was working in tech, you do see that. It's another part of the incentive strategy. CEOs are incentivized to be cold, unfeeling liars, quite frankly. And when you have people like this at the top, and it, this is happening in our government too, it's like, where is the soul? Where is the heart, right? And you want people to shit on AI. AI is only as bad or good as the person who is behind the, uh, you know, the directive of it all. And it really is upsetting because, because of our incentives, because of the things that we value and we've decided matter, it, we have created the perfect environment for these types of CEOs to get away with what they're doing. Yes, and it's... You know, I feel for Mark Zuckerberg, I think. Yeah. Like, I, I, I think outside of the youth stuff, like Facebook has been the reasons that entire genocides have been sparked in, 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 you know. He almost has to dissociate at this point, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, you know, you can make the whole argument, well, tech bros don't receive enough liberal arts education in college. They don't receive enough exposure <laughs> to the world. And, like, they're all numb to, like, the way the world works. I think works there's enough liberal arts education. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think the reality is, like, God, it must, it must be really painful for a lot of them, I think. For sure. And he, he, has, made, he has made wrong choices. It's but almost I, like I Frankenstein, also, right? Like, what have I created? 
Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, here's the, here's the thing. I don't think it's Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg never went out there and said, I'm going to create a platform that's going to help the world connect and love each other. For sure. He never said that. And we bought it anyway. Yeah. He Elon said, Musk, I'm going to create a platform where you can rank, rank the rank, hot girls on rank campus. Hot girls. Exactly. Exactly. Elon Musk never went out there and said, I'm buying X to like, you know, make everybody feel happy and lovey. Yeah. He said, I'm buying X because uh, actually we can go to that later. But my yeah. point, <laughs> my larger point is the tech CEOs are not who we should be looking to, to solve these problems. That's right. Much like, much like we don't look to, you know, the like real estate uh, owners to solve housing issues. We need to work with the government and we need mm-hmm. to work with parents and we need to work with kids. And so working with the government means imposing regulation imposing design codes that force that ban infinite scroll that help people have ownership over their data that help people um, block and, and report and dodge unwanted sexual advances, all of these things, algorithmic abuses, all of that at the parent level, we need to help parents, especially older parents understand the harms of social media and also understand how to, as a group come together and help their kids stay off of social media for a little bit. There's a great movement called Wait Till Eighth that I really like. Wait where, till eight? Yeah, it's okay. wait till eight. It's like where parents in a school or school district come together and say, We're not gonna give our kids technology until eighth grade. Outside of school technology. I thought you meant wait until eight years old. I was like, Oh no, 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 no. Wait eighth until grade. eight T H. Got yes. it. Okay. And that's because it's so much easier to tell your kid, no, you can't have a phone because none of your friends have phones. Go play outside. Right. And, you know, you still, this still needs to be balanced, I think, with tech education. We need to have Mm -hmm. tech education. And this is the last part, with students and young people. If we are in schools from a young age teaching kids about the positives, the immense beauty that can come from a world that is tech-powered, which I believe is is great, and the harms that can happen if we don't teach kids how to properly use this technology, if we're teaching them that starting at 6th or 7th grade, we will be so much better as a society if you get on Instagram and you already know that this is a dangerous place if I don't use it right. Just like most people now, yeah. sometimes like kids vape, kids smoke cigarettes, but I think a lot of people know that it's probably bad. You know, we've taken a step forward. Um, I think the same thing needs to happen there. We need to teach kids how to use technology. I think banning AI in schools is stupid. I think banning Very social dumb. media is, is yes. dumb because then, you, yeah, you, you, the kid's going to use it eventually. And also you want to like, use it more when it's banned. Yes, correct. I completely I know that for a fact. I remember like very clearly, like there was nothing that would stop me from going online. Like the only thing that would have helped me is like adults having these like nuanced conversations with me and kind of planting the seeds and encouraging me to be wary and vigilant, right? Like, and maybe sitting down with me and talking about it rather than just like ostrich head in the sand and like not knowing what's going on. But yeah, a, a determined young person will find a way. Yeah, just like drinking, just like sex, for sure. just like anything else. Yeah, the, And this isn't just me talking. Like, Designer for Us has done work with hundreds of kids from around the country and around the world to develop these answers to what would help young people and I think everybody feel better online. It's not just a bunch of unfounded idea. There's research that infinite scroll increases the amount of dopamine that is released in your brain like a drug. And eventually your dopamine receptors get burnt the hell out and you are addicted to that screen. That's the reason why I do it. Sometimes I'll close TikTok or close Instagram. I'll go right back on it. Oh my God, me too. I've done it. I remember very clearly, by the way, the days of like Instagram where you would get to the bottom and it's like, there are no more updates. And I'd be like, oh, 
Well, number one, damn, Molly, did you really just get to the fucking bottom? Like you literally must have done a lot. That's also like a mental signal to yourself of being like, holy shit, you have 800 friends and you've just gotten to the very bottom and there's nothing else to show. Uh-oh, get the fuck off this app. Mm-hmm. Now there is, that is not there. And is it true? It reminds me of, I heard something and you'll know this better than me, that in China, they have like bans on these things, right? Like for a certain age in TikTok in China, kids are only shown educational type content or they even have like a mass blackout for, can you speak to that? And also yeah. why the fuck don't we have those? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll tie it back to the Mark Zuckerberg thing too. In China, not only do they have content restrictions based on age, they have, they have nighttime restrictions. At a certain time, all of this TV, internet, whatever, games, video games, turn off. You cannot play them. You cannot go on them. Um, Douyin, which is the, the uh, TikTok in China, also has uh, a lot more advanced age verification features that make sure whoever's using the platform is who they say they are and shows mm-hmm. them content based on the age that um, the platform knows that they are. Now, on the, on the front, that's awesome and that's great. But now let's let's put it into the U.S. context because I assume most of the listeners are, are are in the U.S. There's two big problems, and Mark Zuckerberg went on Lex Friedman's podcast about a year ago and and kind of said this whole thing like, "What do you guys want me to do about it?" That was his thesis. He was like, "What like if you were in my position, what would you do?" And we've discussed all the things that we should do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the reason why like the national blackout or like a lot of age verification, huge age verification things are a little bit more complex in the United States is let's talk age verification first. If you want to go on Instagram and Instagram needs to verify your age, now you either need to give your ID to Instagram, which gives them more data so they can prove that you are who you say you are. Mm -hmm. Or you need to give, Instagram needs to go, you need to go through the US government in some way to verify that you are who you say you are. Or go through a third party to verify that you are who you say you are to access Instagram. And because Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, unfortunately are these public sources of information and and you can't just take them away because then you're completely disconnected from society. Do you really want one entity, whether it's the government or some third party private company verifying your age and telling you you're allowed to go on this computer, whether or not you're a kid or an adult. So that's, that's problem number one that we need to solve the age verification problem. Problem number two is unfortunately there's no legal precedent for an internet blackout. And I, I would even argue that, setting a legal precedent to turn off and on things like that is, is pretty scary. They can do it in China because they've done it before because the, the government, the CCP has complete control over the, the, the information waves, but yeah. in the United States it's much different. So that would never that's fly why, here with people. Exactly. Right? That's why we need to set restrictions on the design of these platforms and better educate the parents and the users versus sweeping restrictions on the internet. Sweeping restrictions on the internet are also sweeping restrictions on freedom of speech, on freedom of mm-hmm. commerce that then because certain people are who they say they are. Imagine a world where now there's only bans for, you know, certain type of content we, de- we deem a little bit dangerous, i.e. books that affirm, you know, uh, your sexual or gender identity, like in some states. What if that was the case? What if the minute you crossed into Texas, you could no longer look at anything LGBTQIA plus on TikTok? Is that mm. the world we want to create? Like, we really need to be careful navigating. People should a lot have the freedom these. to view whatever they want and then literally make their decision, right? You know? Yes. My question for you, it really ties into this because obviously we've talked about all of the the harms and the 
the things that are going wrong, I'd love to spend a little bit of time like what Design It For Us is proposing specifically. We've talked a little bit about infinite scroll, right? That we want to like get rid of that. And I think that's like a no brainer, you know, that showing people things like the thing that annoys me most is like, I'm tired of being shown things that I don't follow. Like I, I want to just see stuff that I follow. Suggested stuff is just annoying to me, quite frankly, on Instagram. YouTube, I think it can be pretty helpful because it's like, you might like this. I kind of, so it's kind of hard, right? Because I feel like it's good, but it's not good. And that's why I have a lot of compassion for activist groups like you guys, because it's so hard. Some of this, it's like, how do you find the right balance with some of these features that actually can help you? Because I use YouTube like a super scholarly nerd. Like I follow all these different lectures and some of my suggestions, I love it. Does it keep me on the app a little too long? Probably, but I actually really like that stuff. So I guess my question is that, you know, we've spoken design it for us emphasizes providing this user agency concept. You guys kind of have spoken a lot about that in your manifesto. And I would love for you to maybe speak to some examples of how we can empower young people to have more control over their online experiences. Cause we've already covered that. We can't wait around for these tech companies to adjust their incentive models, but how can youth and parents work together to make a more empowering online experience? And then also maybe you can speak a bit to algorithms, you know, and how we can educate our kids on how these algorithms are designed for profit and what kind of changes are needed in those areas. Yeah, so, so to the first question, around agency. I think sometimes it's as simple as like an on and off button to infinite scroll, an on and off button to certain types of algorithms. The ability to say, I want a sports algorithm. I just want an algorithm that shows me sports content. I just want a for you page or an Instagram feed that shows me beauty content. All of those things are, are not that hard to implement. They'll say it's very hard, but it's really not. Um, it's on and off switches because Unlike, you know, the, the doyen method of just turning it off for everybody, giving people the ability to design their online experiences, people are not dumb. They will have a, a, a much more successful online experience if they can design it. If people remember Twitter, used to be really great if you followed the right people. Be very educational. You got the right content. You were able That's to like my Twitter quickly. feed right now. Like I have mm -hmm. it pretty, pretty solid right now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's what we, we say when we mean agency or what we mean when we say agency. Um, the, the second big one is, you know, where does the responsibility of safety rest? Like who is liable for the safety of kids online? And we believe that big tech in the end is responsible for the harms that happen on their platforms. And that means that they should be able to be held responsible in the courts. They should be liable to lawsuit. They should be liable to fines if young people are being harmed, are being trafficked, are being attacked because of or directly related to content that is on these platforms. Um, that's a huge one. It's, it's probably the biggest one. And the, the big part here is we want to make sure that the reaction to these policies from big tech is not completely banning young people from Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever, but it is making choices that protect young people online. Um, I'll save the business model for last and, and just tap on the algorithmic part of it. There are stories. Um, the Archwell Foundation does great work on this of parents who have lost kids to suicide because of social media. And I heard this one story where 
the kid, he was on the football team dating this girl and he, they broke up and he went to his room. He watched all these TikToks and for days, and he was talking about this with his parents for days, he was getting TikToks of like, kill yourself. It's over. You'll never get it back. She's sleeping with other men. She's fucking other guys. She doesn't even care about you. She never cared about you. Like, God, and it was over and over because he would sit and watch those because it made it. And the algorithm would just fed the algorithm would just fucking feed it more and more. And Mm. he ended up taking his own life Um, in his room with his parents in the house. He ended up taking his own life. And and those stories are not um, rare. And, you know, like those things can be stopped with more accountability and algorithmic checks and, and human moderators. Um, these, we call them dark patterns, but these dark patterns are created to quite literally drive people to stay on those platforms longer. And because they drive people to stay on those platforms longer, they also give people the worst, saddest, more depressing content so that they stay on there the longest and end up, unfortunately, taking their own lives. And so there needs to be a lot, a lot of work to deprioritize these algorithmic or like engagement based, like likes, comments, all those things. Um, those type of incentive structures within the platforms. Yes. Um, the last thing is on data and parents and long-term life for kids. Um, my generation and the generation under it have had their data mined for a decade or more now the world and these data brokers know more about us than we do. And that data, who knows what it's going to be used for, especially with the rise of AI in the future. I don't, I don't see it as a unrealistic future where there are targeted political ads that are created just for me, just for my feed to tell me to vote a certain way based on things I said or clicked on 10 years ago. And so we need to educate parents about how harmful it is, A, for their kids to have all this data out there and not be protected, and B, for their kids to just have their public lives out into the world at 9, 10, 11. It's very dangerous um, for a lot of reasons, both the the sexual harms, but also, like, these kids are going to have lives. They're going to have kids. They're going to have, they're going to go on dates. They're going to be taken out. Like, the mommy influencers that are putting every minute of their kids' lives on Instagram, girl, those kids are going to go to school in 10 years and be fucking bullied because you put them pooping themselves on Instagram at two. Like I would like kids in my school would put that on the, on the like billboard if if they could. Yep. It's, it's so, so true. I have the same reaction to the mommy bloggers. I see more and more of people that I know blurring out their kids' faces on their, because obviously my generation now is like just starting to mm-hmm. have kids. A lot of women my age are having kids later and later, understandably, because we can't even afford to buy a fucking house. But that's a whole nother episode in, its, in itself. So, but I think there's a good thing of having kids later because you're a little bit more mature and I think we're starting to wisen up to some of this stuff. And a lot of these, I remember the very first time I saw these mommy blogger channel, I never got into that. I also, I'm like, what is the people that are actually no, watching very, this content? Very scary. You know what I mean? Imagine like well, sitting around and watching that, but I know they're doing it, but I also well, know if you want the real answer, I already know it's mm-hmm. all half of it is creepy pe- pedos that are, that are mm-hmm. clicking on that. And mm-hmm the women just don't want to think about that. Right. But as soon as I started watching that content, I was going, 
this isn't going to age well. Like this is, this is not going to go well. And sure as shit, you're seeing it now. I mean, I was in the Miss Teen USA pageant when I was 15, the Donald Trump owned pageant. Oh, wow. I was Miss Teen Wyoming in 2007. I was in the group of people, you know, the girl that answered like some people don't have maps that like viral yeah. clip. That was my pageant. I was backstage oh, wow. when that was <laughs> happening. I was, a, I was literally there when Mario Lopez was like tapping her on the back of the arm being like, okay, wrap it up. So like I was there for that viral moment. And I also heard firsthand of like how bad that fucked her up, that going viral, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I remember our pageant director is telling us like, don't look at the comments on the YouTube videos of our, think about it. There's 14 and 15 year old girls parading around in their bikinis and who do you think is watching those videos on YouTube? Like it's a bunch of freaky, creepy old dudes. And it's just, it. I just look back on those times and I'm going, where were the adults? Like, how did they let this happen? You know what I mean? Like how, and then it's the same with the mommy bloggers. It's like, how can you do this to your kids? Like, it's ignorance. It's the same reason why tobacco companies were able to get such a, a claw into young people, um, you know, in the 60s and the 50s and the, and the 70s. That was not in the right order, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, because parents were ignorant to the dangers and mm -hmm. kids were good at hiding things. Yes. Yeah, that's like, actually that's true. It's that simple. Then, and that's my point is like, there's all this imagery of, of the deep state or whatever coming through your TV and brainwashing you. And it, it seems like this interconnected, rapidly orchestrated. expanding, orchestrated mess. But like, if there's one thing that anyone listens to for me ever, it's that it really like boils down to there is hope and there are simple things we can do to fix this. In the end, the people that are giving these platforms money are you and me and everyone else listening. In yeah. the end, the people whose vote can elect representatives who hold these platforms accountable is you and me. And yeah. in the end, throughout history, over whatever timeline, we have overcome as citizens, as humans, overcome much bigger threats than Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah. there, there is, there's no reason to think that humans cannot break free from this like complete internet brainwash that we have and we're beginning to like yeah. the, the very fact that you reached out to me and said let's do a podcast on this and the very fact that you read an article about this the very fact that there was means that there's more people listening than there was five years ago yeah and so my last like my point we will solve this issue young people will be free and the internet will be a place where people learn and connect and create beautiful things the the, the cure to cancel was created because of the internet but we will have rid it of all of these really early bugs that happened because we didn't think hard enough. We just need to yeah. think a little harder. And it's natural for those things to happen too. And it's just like you said in the very beginning is how can we make the collateral damage less now? You know, like I don't want there to be more girls like me, you know, who had that yeah. happen. And it is not just happening to girls. Like I worked in fashion for a brief period of time when I lived in London and I it offered me the opportunity to work with a lot of young male models that were like modeling for Louis Vuitton. And I got into conversations with some of these young men, many of them like male models and models in general often come from the most like third world countries that are literally scouted and found and they've, they're flown over here. And mm -hmm. I had a conversation with a group of guys in a model house, many of them from Africa, like literally just these from random places in Eastern Europe where they're sending money back to their families 
that they they think that they're living it up and they're living in like the trashiest model house you can in in horrible conditions making very little amounts of money and many of these men told me and most of them were straight identifying men some of them were young gay men but the predatory behavior that they experienced from older gay men in the fashion industry it would make your hair stand on end. So it's like, it's not just young girls. It's like these older gay men going online and finding these boys posting on Instagram, sliding into their DMs and promising them the world, right? And I'm sure it's happening to anyone across the gender spectrum. It's like, we need to be able to minimize this collateral damage as best as we possibly can. This is like, if we want to look at common enemy, like threat history, common enemies have been what have united people, especially in times of deep conflict, which I would, I would argue the United States is in. If we want to look at common enemy, this is one of them. We're, the reason why the bills that Design It For Us has helped write and push have so many co-sponsors across Democrats and Republicans is because everyone is under attack. Everyone, no matter your ideology, is under attack in some way. You know, like left-leaning people, their sexuality, their gender, their safe spaces, their, their psychological safety is being attacked. Right-leaning people feel like they're being deplatformed by the same, the same uh, entity. And so, like, is there not a world where we work together on one thing and we say yes. enough is enough? Let's, let's stop this. Let's stop this, not just for us, but because, like, the biggest thing we see at Designer for Us and the, the reason why young people are joining at record rate is because they say, I don't want this to happen to my younger sister or my younger brother or my, or or the next generation, because we've, we've experienced it at such a young age and we've been lucky to survive it. Yes. And there have been some, some young people that, that haven't been as lucky as we have. And it is, it is completely a a shame and like a a neglect of, of duty to not say like, we're going to be the last generation to, to take this bullshit. It gives me a lot of hope to know that you're out there doing this. And I mean, I'll use my platform in whatever way I can amplify what you all are doing. And not that not that you need me either, because it's pretty impressive. The next thing that I you mentioned the Archwell Foundation and one of the things that I'd written here, you said Design It For Us has not been around very long, but already for those who aren't aware, Archwell Foundation is um, the nonprofit created by Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. And they've shown support for Design It For Us, I wrote, I read in, in a couple of articles. And it's like more recently as well, right? And I'm I'm curious yeah. to know, how does their involvement kind of, was that shocking for you? Like, what was all of that? What was that like, you know? Because that's that's huge. It's funny. It was shocking and, and awesome and a huge bump. But the reason that they're doing that work is because of the experience that Megan and Harry had. Precisely. Absolutely ravaged on the internet. And they don't, they don't want their children to live on a world where that can happen to anyone, especially yeah. people of that stature. Yes. You know, especially people who are supposed to be protected because they have money and they have fame and they have connections, right? Anyone is, is vulnerable. And so, like, it's funny that we're, everybody's coming to this work, again, for the same reason. Everybody's experienced the pain. And I think, like, another Yeah, nobody's really, immune. No one's immune, whether you no are. That's a, that's a great way to bring us together, right? It's like, no matter your gender, no matter your, your political, no matter if you are the richest person, the poorest person, everyone is threatened by this. Yeah. And, you know, it also is a huge kind of validation for the thesis that the only way we solve it is together across generations. 
like the only way that Design It For Us could have been successful is with the support of older folks that are 10, 20, 60 years older than us who have money, who have wisdom, been doing this work for longer, who can show us the ropes. And the only way that their work is going to be successful, the only way that they're going to achieve their missions is by supporting us and bringing us to that same level. Because we all, this is one of the very unique um, points in, in life where all these different generations bring different weapons, for lack of a better word, to the fight. And that's awesome. That's a great way to build camaraderie. And if we could do it, think about it, if we could do it here, if we can pass landmark legislation that protects young people online here through this strategy, what's to say that we can't do it for climate? What's to say that we can't do it for democracy reform and access to, to democracy? What's to say we can't do it for education? That's like, right. This could be, and I, I truly believe like this is the model for how young people who some of them can't vote and older people who have been in politics and been in this work for decades can come together and really reimagine how a lot of this stuff, how a lot of the smoke filled the gar back rooms evolve. Maybe they're not smoke filled anymore. Maybe they're, I don't know, what like Red Bull and whatever <laughs> filled, whatever young people are yeah. drinking these days, yeah. those young ones. Ketamine, ketamine Red Bull. <laughs> ketamine <laughs> lozenge and Red Bull filled. Yeah, literally, <laughs> literally. Well, Thanasi, this has been so amazing. And I feel like it was going to give all the listeners out there. I mean, most of my listeners, I've seen some of the demographics, they are younger. And I'd say that the primary age group that sends me voicemails, usually I hear, this is just me. I don't have any kind of formal way on podcasting or analytics kind of suck. But all I have to go off of is when people send me voicemails, they say their age. It's got to be between, you know, 18 and I would say 18 to 29. And then I have a cohort of people that are also in their, my age, millennials. It's mostly Gen Zs and millennials who listen to my podcast. And at this point, if they're still listening, and which I'm sure they are, they're going to be going, okay, I'm fired up about this. I've been impacted about this. Maybe some of them have kids that are young already. How can they keep up with what's going on with Design It For Us? How can they get involved? And what can they do? So there's there's two things, yeah. three things. One of them is Design It For Us is available. Anyone can join. So you can go to designitforus.org and you can join the fight. You can join us on our Slack channel. You can join us when we do rallies in different states. You can help out any way you want to. That's an open invitation. The second is by keeping updated on what's really going on in Congress um, and it, at the executive level in the president's office um, with these bills. The election will have a lot of different stuff going on, but there will be a thread around youth safety online and make sure the people that you're voting for are putting forth plans and supporting plans that you feel would make your online experience safer. The third is that state by state legislation and down ballot legislation, especially in 2024, down ballot elections are going to be so fucking important for everything, but especially for this. The age-appropriate design code was passed in California and was immediately attacked by every single big tech company. And it got rolled back, unfortunately. It's in the Supreme Court in California right now. So, you know, these things are still under attack. Passing it is not the only thing. But the proof is we can pass it. And we passed it with not many people talking about it. So if we can 10x the amount of people that are pushing their down-ballot legislators to work on age-appropriate design codes, to work on any sort of legislation that protects young people online in your state, in your county, at the school district level, you can make that change. 
only you can make that change. Only you can go to your school board. Only you can go to your state legislator. And you have to educate your friends. And so if you really care about this stuff, again, it's not a hard task. We're not asking you to build a nuclear reactor or solar panels or offshore wind to fix climate change. We're asking you, everybody recognizes this is a problem. Everybody agrees we need to solve. And we have a policy platform that you can find that you can choose if you agree with and then advocate for yourself and really make change. Um, and we're always there to help if you'd like us to. Beautifully put. Well, I always give my guests the floor to impart any last words to not like you're dying. That sounds like very dramatic. <laughs> your, what are your final words? Um, what are your the final words you'd like to leave the listeners with who are have been very, very negatively impacted potentially by, by the internet. Maybe they are the me's and the use of the world and they are deeply searching for purpose and trying to find meaning and some kind of balance and stability in their mental health. Do you have any kind of last uh, little bits of wisdom for those listeners? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm like tearing up a little bit. I, mm. I, um, in, in therapy, I did this, this exercise where like you imagine yourself at whatever age or you imagine yourself like when you were in the darkest part and you like look at yourself now and you say like like that's the person that you are carrying through this life mm. and i do that a lot especially when we talk about this type of work because it reminds me that like that that was me that is still me you know it, it looks different it sounds different but like there was once a really scarred hurt person who thought that their life wasn't valuable mm. and I don't, I don't think I can say like, it's going to get better tomorrow. And I don't think I can say this can get better the next day. But what I, what I can say is that I've met more people in the past six months that have both endured the most brutal, horrible, depressive, anxious states and, and come out of them and who are fighting and who are literally putting every hour they have awake to help save others. And that there are more people than you know that are working to fix this literally every every waking hour. And that gives me a lot of hope, not just for the listeners, but for that like little kid that I carry around with me sometimes. Um, it makes me, it, it's the only thing that keeps me going. If I didn't know that, if I didn't know there's other people doing this and there was thousands and there were senators and Congress people and the president and more people around the globe that cared and that are going to solve in the next couple of years, I don't think I'd be able to keep going, but I am. And so I hope that some people can as well. That's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I can relate to a lot of what you shared. Just doing this work myself also and interviewing so many amazing people like you as well gives me hope. And it reminds me of that Mr. Rogers quote, right? Like look for the helpers because they are out there and it's so easy to see the negative because it's all we're shown. Um, but it means that we have to, if we develop that critical thinking capacity, that's what I, I tell my listeners. If there's anything you can do right now, the best way you can safeguard yourself is to develop critical thinking. And every time you see something, literally going, what's the incentive behind this? You know, who's creating this? What's the message of this? What's it for? How does it, how is it trying to make me feel? And am I letting this like impact my energy? Right. And we have to create these really strong bubbles around ourselves right now while this work is being done by really, really amazing people, like the people you're working with, by our government, and also recognizing that not everyone is out there that is bad, that it like wants, wants 
what's worst for you. Some people also, even the people that are neglecting their duty are just people that are trying to get by. Some of them are depressed. They're just showing up at their shitty jobs and knowing mm -hmm. how fucked up these tech companies are and have that sinking feeling inside. Like, mm, I don't think I'm doing something that's very good for the world. Like, but they're just barely getting by. And I think that's something that not many people consider. Yeah. I, I also think that barely getting by is a form of fighting back. That's right. Um, I think that smiling at someone in the, in the, in the street is a form of fighting back. I think going outside is a form of fighting back. I think that the, the beautiful part about this movement is that surviving and rejecting those forces that, 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 that are trying to get you to completely die, yes. put, put simply is, is a form of resistance and a form of, of joining the fight back. Um, and that's why like we're literally all in it together at different levels and mm -hmm. everybody is playing a small role because it is such a human issue. It yes. is a purely human problem. Thank you for, for being here today and thank you for sharing so openly and vulnerably. And I will, for the listeners, be linking to all this information that we mentioned today in the episode description. And it sounds like there's a Slack community that is uh, people can join and one step at a time just with anything else. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. This was awesome. All right, my lovely listener, that is it for today's episode of Back from the Borderline. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with the Nasi as much as I did. All of the links and relevant resources mentioned in today's interview will be available in the episode description, so don't forget to check those out. If you'd like to unlock access to hundreds of hours of bonus content, as well as ad-free episodes, you can join the premium submarine community on Patreon today. You can do so by visiting backfromtheborderline.com. But if you're not ready to become a premium submarine, that's okay too. You can support my work by rating the podcast, writing a review, or even better, sharing this episode with someone you care about. And I'd say this episode is a really important one to share. This conversation with the Nasi and the work that the Design It For Us team is doing is incredibly important. And the only way we can make change is if we shout about it and share this information far and wide. To make sure you're notified each time I drop a new episode, follow Back From The Borderline on your favorite podcast app. I drop new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. I also share daily photos, quotes, and additional reflections and resources with my community on Instagram at Back From The Borderline. And you can also sign up to get free recovery insights from me on Substack. All that juicy good stuff is on backfromtheborderline.com, including links to support my sponsors, as well as the link to submit a voicemail if you'd like to share your thoughts on an episode or how the podcast has impacted your life. Never forget, you haven't met all of you yet. Within your weakness, your inner chaos and disorder lies your greatest strength. If only you would dare to shine a light on it and transmute it. We have to get to the point where we're willing to be the fool to begin our hero's journey. And remember, anyone, even you, can come back from the borderline. I'm your host, Molly, and I'll see you next time. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.